Cause we're the Houston Oilers Houston Oilers Houston Oilers number one Yes, we're the Houston Oilers Houston Oilers Houston Oilers Everyone, you're listening to Battle Red Radio. I'm Matt Weston, and this evening I'm joined by Carlos Flores, Joe, and Scott, and we're all here to talk about the Texans' absolutely absurd 42 to 36 overtime loss to the Tennessee Titans. Um, a game that was again, it was absurd, it was beautiful, and it was spectacular. How are you guys doing tonight? I'm doing all right. Uh, not not as good as if we would have won, but it's still like. This was this was an extremely entertaining game. Doing good. Spirits are high. I mean, compared to what happened with the Astros yesterday, this game was a much more entertaining go. Yeah, it's you know Texans are kind of getting back to the entertaining losses, not just the straight up beatdown. So, I mean, <laughs> you, you'd rather the win, but you know they're going back to their classic. Well, if they lose, they at least do it in a very entertaining and creative fashion. So. Yeah, that one of five, you know, you kind of have to fight for every moral victory that you have left. And it, it really is good that, like, after the Kansas City-Baltimore game, where, like, the losses are so listless and empty and just, just drab, um, it has been a lot of fun. To, like, even even though they're losing to lose games like this that are enjoyable, where there's a lot of fun things to watch, I think that's kind of what matters at the end of the day. Because, again, this team is 1-5, and five, and I think now, like, that was kind of the last mile of dirt um, for the postseason. And what I'm about to do, I'm about to do something I'm not very good at, but it's the only way that you can kind of describe how absolutely absurd um, this game went. So Tennessee found themselves up 21-10 at the end of the first half. On their first drive, they were able to get the ball in Houston territory after a defensive pass interference penalty on Bradley Roby. And a sack by Tyrell Adams hurt their red zone drive, which led to, I think, like a third and, like a third, a third and 12 or something along those lines. And Tennessee ended up kicking the field goal in the red zone. Uh, to turn this game from 21 to 20, 24, 10. But instead, Justin Reed blocked the field goal, opened up the sarcophagus, reawakening the spirits from week 15, 2019. And after that, this game devolved into absolute madness. Uh, so from this point on, and again, like this is just kind of like a list of everything that occurred after Reed blocked that kick. But there's defensive pass, interfe- defensive pass interference penalty on Christian Fultz and a set by touchdown, which made the game 17, 21, Tennessee. Taylor Luan hurt his knee on a non-contact play, and in came Ty Sambrillo. J.J. Watt had a chop rip against him that created a fumble, and Sambrillo tried to like pick it up instead of just fall on it, and he failed to recover it. Watson, Watson was able to throw a third and, de- third and goal touchdown creation pass to Randall Cobb after a scramble, and then they missed the extra point, leading to 23-21 Houston, and they quickly took the lead. Then Tennessee drove around Houston's red zone, missed a 37-yard field goal. Then on third and eight, Watson took a sack that lost 10 yards, and pushed Houston out of field goal range. After this, Derrick Henry had his 94-yard touchdown run, where Brent Scarlett was blocked by Nate Davis, Zach Cunningham had an awful run fit, and Eric Murray missed a tackle. Tennessee converted this two-point conversion, making it 23-29, thanks to some great Arthur Smith play design off the bootleg rolling, ro- rolling left. Two plays, 75 yards later, Deshaun Watson threw a 22-yard pass to Farrell Brown, then a 53-yard touchdown pass to Will Fuller to make it 30-29. Immediately after this, Ryan Tannehill threw a deep middle interception, then Houston drove to the one-yard line, went for on fourth and short, converted, 
Watson evaded Rashawn Evans and hit Randall Cobb on a short drag to make it 36-29. Romeo Cornell then opted to go for two instead of kicking the field goal. They spread everything out. Watson had Kenny Stills open. He saw it late. And Jeffrey Simmons bad at the line of scrimmage, um, keeping the game at 36-29. So with 1.45 left and one timeout, and the ball at their own 24-yard line, Ryan Tannehill led a game-winning drive that ended with a quick snap fade to A.J. Brown. And it was too close to the side if it was a catch or not, but because of the call in the field, it was a touchdown it stood. Tennessee then kicked the extra point to make it 36-36 instead of going for two to win. Then Tennessee won the coin flip, a piece of Deshaun Watson you know, left his body. Uh, six plays later, later, thanks to a Henry, Derrick Henry dump off that became 52 yards and 82 yards total that ended with a Derrick Henry quarterback keep touchdown, made it 42-36 in overtime, and the Tennessee Titans won the game. So we can start off by discussing the decision after that, you know, insane, entirely insane second half of this game. Uh, but the decision was that Romeo Cornell took the route of Warrior instead of the route of Coward, and all cowards go to hell. And so he went for a fourth down at the goal line to take, to make it, to take, he went for a fourth down at the goal line to make a seven-point lead instead of a three-point lead. And then later in the game, Houston scored, making it 36-29. But instead of kicking the extra point, they went for two in order to try and make it a two-possession game. Houston failed, and then the Titans, as a result, didn't have to convert a two-point conversion to tie the game after A.J. Brown's touchdown catch. Um, so, Carlos, do you think this was the right call? Are you Team Rich Gannon, or are you Team A.J. Feely? Oh, I'm Team Feely, like, all the way. Uh, uh, Rack needed to make that call. Not going for two would have meant, uh, like you said, going the coward's way, but I think with how the defense was performing it would have just been irresponsible to try to not and go not go for the win when uh you know missing it sets up a tie uh to send it in overtime take the risk every time this is something that bill o'brien would never have done he would have played it completely safe and we've seen up to that point success on going for it on fourth and going for it in these tough crunch situations why not deshaun watson is rolling um you know, and just to keep the ball away from that porous run defense that, of course, was going to give it all up at the end of it. Um, Rack foresaw it and tried to put the game away. And, you know, considering our record, I think at this point, there's not really anything to be safe about. Like, just go balls to the wall, have fun, go at it. And, uh, you know, I think Rack made fully the right decision. I don't think we have the defense to be able to say, like, yeah, we can protect this lead. Yeah, I can, I completely agree with that. I'm pro going for it, and again, like the two point conversion, you know, it adds like a a slight extra layer of difficulty. But if Houston you know gets that, makes it a two possession game, that's pretty much the game right there at that point. And then you don't have to worry about that two point conversion over time, or Houston's defense had played poorly the entire time. And so it's like you want Deshaun Watson to win the game for you. You don't want to have your bad defense that can't stop Derrick Henry to win the game for you. And uh, and also, like, for an offense that Houston has, the probability of getting two yards is a lot higher in likelihood um, than probably even, like, stopping Ryan Tant. Then, you know, it's a lot higher likelihood to get that two yards to Deshaun Watson um, than maybe it is to stop Ryan Tannehill, like, then at that point. And the other thing also to take into account is that Kaimi Fairbairn missed an extra point earlier this game. And so the extra points no longer are guaranteed as well in these situations, too. So, yeah, I'm pro-Romeo, and it's one of those things, like, if you don't like that, then you can't really like the fact they went for a touchdown too with David John with uh, that spread spread offense where Deshaun Watson was able to hit Brandon Cooks, making that a seven point lead instead of a, a three point lead at that point. Also, 
And I know, Joe, you kind of felt differently earlier in the game when we were talking about it. Have your thoughts or feelings changed at all um, in the past, you know, four hours since we spoke last? Um, I've I've leaned more on on like liking going for it, and I love going for it. I one thing Philadelphia has been doing way more than most of the teams so far this year. And the one thing that I've been liking what they're doing is they've been going for it like crazy and going for two point conversions all the time, even when it doesn't make sense. And I love that Philadelphia is doing that. This is the one case that I would that I would still probably kick the extra point because you go up eight. That gives your defense as many opportunities as humanly possible to stop the game. And it puts more pressure on the opposing offense to make a play. And ultimately, they are probably going to get the touchdown. And, they're, and forcing them to go, go for two will pretty much make the entire game come down to one play. Instead of having to wait for overtime for that game-deciding play to happen, where we're probably going to lose it anyways, at least give your defense, you know, one action, one extra attempt to swat the ball down to make a play. I still like I, I, I flip flop between the two, but I don't know. It's just w- when you have the opportunity to force the enemy offense to do literally everything it can to score points. I feel like that's as about as uncomfortable a spot you can put it be put in as an offensive coordinator. So I think I would still prefer that. Just make Tennessee as uncomfortable as you can. And going, get, getting the extra point and forcing them to do that would have been the most easy way to do it. I guess I'd say that would have been the easiest way to win. Yeah, I mean, I, I can, I can, I don't think I don't even know what the analytics are at all for if it's better to go for two there or not. Um, and I understand where you're coming from as well, too, Joe. I just see it as you know the defense is bad. It's gonna be hard to stop Ryan Tannehill, and you know he quick passed his way down the entire field in like 74 yards and. I think he needed like an, a minute, an, a minute fifty or so to, to be able to pull that off, and they had the entire field open as well too with one timeout left. And also, I think the other part about it for me is, you know, Arthur Smith has been so good in the red zone this year and it's scheming plays around the goal line too that like I wouldn't even want to even screw around with Tennessee at the two yard line, especially with Derrick Henry and that sort of thing. Like it isn't Jacksonville trying to convert on fourth and one; it's the team that's like you made an entire livelihood out of converting those plays as well too. And, yeah, and, yeah. I- I get that, but you first have to make the two-point conversion, and the one way you do it is you don't know, make a stupid Bill O'Brien era like two-point play that I don't know Tennessee didn't really have a hard time at all stopping it. <laughs> well, it was, I mean, I, the, the, well, the pass that I mean, the, the play that Houston Ram worked, Watson just saw Kenny Stills late, and then by yeah. the time he threw it, Jeffrey Simmons bad it. Like the play worked, you know, it wasn't an issue with the play call there at that point. Yeah, well, I mean, it didn't work. And I mean, the that end, was the difference. Then re, result didn't work, but I'm like the play worked, yeah. and the design worked. Just Simmons is just a, a, one of the best, like one of the best interior defenders in the league. And um, and I think the second thing about it too is just like an overall philosophy, like Carl, like Carlos mentioned, like with Bill O'Brien, we've seen what these decisions, what happens when you make these decisions, you lose football games whenever you try not to lose in regulation instead of winning regulation. We saw it with all the cowardly punts and field goals he did earlier this year. We saw it with the decision he made going back to the divisional round earlier this year. We've even seen it like previous decisions he's made, you can go back to 2014. And he did become more aggressive on fourth down, you know, in his later years. But again, like these decisions to kick field goals instead of going for it, you know, really hurt Houston um, during his time there. And so like Romeo Cornell just having the entire philosophy shift and be more aggressive has given Houston the opportunity to be in spots where they're ahead as well too. And so I've I've just seen it coming back to bite this football team so many times, you know, Brian did it. 
that it's really refreshing to see Cornell, you know, big and cuddly to, to, be the, to be the aggressor in these situations to make the tougher calls that um, some coaches haven't been making at all. It would have been it would have been way nicer if we would have made that extra point earlier in the game, and this wouldn't have been a discussion we had to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but and that's and that's a part of it too. Like, it's not a guarantee he's going to make that kick, and so like I would rather have Watson making a play for me than expect my entire defense to hold up. And if I get two yards, I win the game instead of having to have yeah. to stop Tannehill and then and then have to worry about a coin toss in order to win the game. Two yards and you win. Yeah, and it's the, over, you know. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Uh, maybe they'll learn, maybe they'll start going for two early. You know, every time they get a touchdown, go for two. Don't wait for this nightmare scenario that they put themselves in. Just go for two. Don't even think about kicking an extra point. That's what Philadelphia is doing and it's working. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they've been, they've been wild about doing that for like the last you know two seasons and it kind of led to the rest of the league starting to take that uh, more aggressive approach. And I know Belichick did a little bit and that sort of thing, but not nearly to the extent that Philly started it, especially the two point conversions where you get those weird, like, I don't know, like 19 to six games and stuff out of nowhere. Um, so the next thing <laughs> I want to talk about is the offense today. Because the Texans did score 36 points. They scored 30, week, 30 points the week before that after having those really, like, you know, b- bad games where they were trying to, where they were strangling themselves to try to score even 20 points. Uh, so, Scott, with Tim Kelly as the offensive coordinator, coordinator again, with Bill O'Brien gone and Kelly calling plays again, um, what changes have you seen Houston make? And what are your thoughts on Tim Kelly's new vertical passing offense? And that's a question from at Tyron ITUT. Well, I think, you know, and some of it too, like, you know, the first three, four games or so, uh, you know, your defenses, you know, Baltimore definitely was a very blitz heavy. So there wasn't really time to allow some of those deeper plays to open up. Pittsburgh, particularly in the second half, was kind of that way as well. Uh, so it could be a case Jacksonville, Tennessee, not quite the defensive caliber we've seen with other teams, but I think what has helped is definitely going with what works, opening up the system. So not as adamant about trying to get that run past balance, which if you can get it is great. And uh, I think sometimes Bill O'Brien to a detriment went with sort of his grand mentor, Bill Parcells, who always had the philosophy. It wasn't how many yards you rushed, it's how many times you rushed the ball. So if you're able to do like 40 rushes a game, that means you're in the game to a point you can do that. Um, now, you you can't have, like, just pass all the time. You, you do have to have some running of the ball. But I think what's helped is Tim Kelly, they don't seem like they're trying to force running the ball, and particularly running plays like you're going straight up the middle or trying to hit those consistent run plays. That mm-hmm. I, I think that was a, a problem at times, and particularly like the Pittsburgh game where you kept force-feeding the run and got away from a passing game, which – you know, you, Pittsburgh might have gotten there anyway, but you didn't, you made it easier for them. Mm-hmm. You know, they can tee off when you're in third and long, but you mix up, you know, you open things up a little bit more, go with the flow of the game. If you, that means you pass a lot more than you run, well, so be it. And I think also, too, we don't have kind of the consistent running backs that you want, particularly since David Johnson has had some flashes, but not near what we've needed, certainly not for the price we got him. Uh, I mean, if he was making consistent runs off the middle and gashing for those, you know, four to six yards a pop, then okay. But uh, we we just weren't getting there with him. And so I think the biggest thing is kind of opening up and not forcing things, but, you know, going more of the empty sets, going what Watson's comfortable and the, they're making the plays. 
So you kind of go with what works and don't try to force it. If that means you're going to have to throw, you know, get like a three passes to every one run, well, so be it. But I think not trying to force a, a run bat run pass balance, but more of a okay, we're we're going with what works. The system's working, and, and it could be also you know we're facing some weaker defenses too. That certainly helps. But I, I think we're not trying to force things like we were certainly to begin the year. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I I see what you, I see what you mean by that, and I do think like this idea of having you know a run pass balance is absurd for. You know, in general, but it's even more, in a, and especially with the team Houston has with Deshaun Watson at quarterback, and then also just having an offensive line that struggled at making their everybody making their blocks, and like you mentioned with David Johnson, not getting a whole lot of yards between the tackles. Um, personally, there's six things that I've seen, and I kind of wrote about this in the six things preview today. But I'm seeing Houston run a lot more empty sets. I I think in that Jacksonville game, Watson was like six for six for like 92 yards it's off the top of my head, but I wrote about it. I have empty formations. They ran a lot more empty sets this game too. And one of the great things about that is that you if you're blitzing, you're seeing it. You know, you can't have linebackers and safety on the box spot like across from a tight end or a running back. If you got five guys in front of you, you know, they're all coming. There's not a need at all to have that many guys there without any any other receivers in the backfield at all. And it allows Watson to kind of make easier reads where he can pick and pop and pick his mismatches and go from there. I'm seeing them run a lot more outside zone instead of running like counter and dart and draw, and lead, and that stupid RPO. Like, they're actually, they're just running one play, and I think that's helped helped them out a lot. Instead of being bad at 15 different plays, they can be pretty good at one play at running the outside zone. Um, they're running the ball, they're running, out, they're running a lot more shotgun formations, they're running the ball out of shotgun more often, which helps. And then whenever they go into more 11 personnel under center, they're using a lot more play action too, and that's been beneficial. The quick passing game has been better. Um, you know, Watson had missed a couple of like throws today, just being behind receivers on crossing routes. But I think he's been overall much better at those throws, and they've done a better job actually scheming their wide receivers open out of trips, of trips and bunch formations too. They're relying a lot less on Darren Fells out in the flat in their passing game, and they're using him more in the intermediate, like shorter middle sections and like around the hashes, which is a, a more effective throw. And also, you don't want Darren Fells as big and slow as he is trying to get yards after the catch opportunities too. And then also Brand Cooks and Will Fuller being used on the sideline more often. You know, Brand Cooks had two, caught two fade routes, caught two fade routes against Jacksonville, hadn't done that all this year. Will Fuller caught that one big one today and had a, you know more than 100 plus yards receiving in the day too. Um, so uh, those are the, the six things that I've really picked up on. Carlos, what are you kind of seeing with this Tim Kelly offense? So I tend to agree with you that they are spreading the ball out a lot more, playing empty. It's helping Deshaun. Um, the announcers were mentioning that it's something that he ran a lot in college. So it's definitely, uh, you know, more familiar to him and anything we can do to make Deshaun more comfortable back there is just going to benefit us in the long run. Um, not just that, but also, uh, Rivers had a really solid point where the offense, uh, kind of drags down when Deshaun's not involved in the run game. And, um, you know, I think when we saw that fake pitch that got us really close to the end zone, um, you know, that's the kind of success we could have if we were to run it more often. And it is scary using him in that way. But, you know, mm-hmm. at some point, something's got to give because this run offense at times can really be anemic. And I don't know if it's more on David Johnson than anything. I think he's a big part of it. But uh, I think they're still trying to bash him up the middle too often. And uh, it really messes with the flow of the game. But for the most part, I think Tim Kelly really did, has done a solid job. Um, so far, especially today, using Brandon Cooks and 
Will Fuller and Randall Cobb um, in a multitude of different ways to open up everything for uh, everybody. I mean, just looking at some of the crossers today, Deshaun could have placed the ball a lot better to get, uh, you know, squeeze a few more yards out on a few plays. But for the most part, we're finding success and finding ways to utilize their speed, um, which hasn't been which hadn't been done under Bill O'Brien. But now that Tim Kelly's running the show, we're finally seeing a little bit of that come to fruition. Yeah, I like that play a lot. I like, I like seeing Watson used in the run game, and it's a really great changeup to have. Um, he got Clowney pretty good, also using that same fake, and was able to outrun him, hit Darren Fells out towards the sideline, and Fells was able to turn that up the sideline. And like just by doing that enough, it keeps the edges honest. And like you don't want to make that drag flat thing like the staple of your offense, but by running like zone reads and quick pitches and using it here and there, like and also just expanding all in that play instead of just being a flat route. Um, it's another way to create easy offense. And that was one of the big things that they lacked, you know, in the first three games of the season too. Uh, what about you, Joe? What have you kind of seen the difference between Tim Kelly and Bill O'Brien so far? I've been seeing a lot of what uh, Carlos isn't seeing. I've been seeing spread offense more. I've been seeing everything I wanted to see when, uh, back in the preseason. I wanted to see throwing the ball downfield all the time. I wanted to see Brandon Cooks catching passes, which pretty much didn't happen at all until Bill O'Brien was fired. I wanted to see less of a reliance on David Johnston running up the middle and more of a reliance on using him as a uh, check down receiver, a wide receiver in his own right, or an outside zone runner, which they finally did this game. Um, and using the speed to their advantage, which was really enjoyable to see for the second week in the row. So I don't care what we have to do to get the ball 20 yards downfield more and more, but it's working and it's working really well. And for the first time since 2017 and Deshaun Watson's rookie year, we've had consecutive games of 30 plus points. I don't, mm -hmm. I really don't think we've had that since 2017, which is pretty impressive. So anything to keep this ball rolling, uh, I am all for, and it seems like it's throw the ball to Wolf Fuller and Brandon cooks and they'll do the work. Yeah, I know, like, Cooks, I'm still not fully, I haven't fully bought on Cooks yet. Like, Fuller's great. Like, he's been he's been very good, you know, Robin sort of receiver um, since he's been drafted by Houston. But, like, uh, but Cooks, like, you know, he he beat man coverage against, you know, Chris Claybrooks last week. And he's a, he's a backup cornerback backing up a bad backup cornerback. And so I haven't really bought on to Cooks just yet. And he caught some, like, drag routes today. He caught some routes behind him. But you didn't really see him at all winning anything uh, down the sideline like Will Fuller. So I'm not entirely there for that. But I know Watson was 0 for 2 on throws over 20 yards in the air. And he completed that one to Will Fuller for 53 yards in the touchdown. Or Malcolm Butler. Um, kind of It looked like kind of like a something confusing there with uh, their zone coverage. And so I checked real fast. And they did have one week last year where they scored more than 30 points back-to-back. -back, and that was the 53-point game against Atlanta. And then a 31-point game against Kansas City. Um, and we saw okay. six last year, but yeah. And then after that, Kansas City, and they're like, Oh, I love this drag flat RPO play. And they ran the rest, ran the rest of the year. And it worked against teams with bad linebackers. Didn't work so much after that. Um, so David Johnson, this game had 19 carries for 57 yards and one touchdown. He had three, that comes up to three yards of carry and a long run of 11 yards. And that run of 11 yards he had, I know Carlos was talking about it in the, in our chat today. Um, that was an outside zone left play. And the key to that play was Larry Tunsil was able to peel up on the second level. And at the second level was, um, was, was safety number 31. It's not Kenny Vaccaro. It's the other guy who's really good. 
and I'm very dumb and can't remember his name right now. Um, but he blocked him and set that run for David Johnson. And like, he just kind of jogged for 11 yards on that one. Uh, but between the tackles, David Johnson had 13 carries for 23 yards, which is skewed by the number of red zones slash short yards attempts he had too. Uh, but Scott, like the problems that David Johnson had running today was this because of some limitation of Johnson as a runner, or do you think these were kind of scheme based by the offense and the blocking in front of him? Uh, you could say probably a combination of both. I mean, he's not, you know, I don't think David Johnson is quite like a, you know, someone like a Travis Henry or Carlos Hyde that you could really make a living slamming him up the middle for three, four yards a pop. Um, but I also think too, like some of that, the Texans offensive line has not been great at interior rush, you know, setting up for the interior run, uh, which I think they kind of got force fed that we're going to keep doing this until we get there, but we weren't getting there. Uh, so, you know, it kind of goes back to some of the earlier discussions on trying to force feed a running game that maybe isn't there. And you just have to kind of go with the flow and move away, maybe more towards a far heavier passing load than might be ideal for some. But with Watson and the receivers you've got, you have no problem riding that. Um, but I, I think, you know, that's we just really haven't had the great interior runner to make. We can't really make a great living off of that. Mm-hmm. And I think. Even Tennessee's got their own defensive issues, but I think their interior was going to make that a bit tougher for our line to move forward anyway. So, you know, we don't have a, a Dalvin Cook who could certainly make a living off running inside and outside too. It's, uh, so, you know, and it, it could be kind of a combination of both, honestly. I don't think it's one over the other, but it's it's combination together where it's not near as effective as you would hope or need it to be. Yeah. Especially for the price we've paid. Yeah, I and the price you keep saying the price you pay. It's like, oh, what was that? Oh, it was you know DeAndre Hopkins, and uh, and it's it's still completely absurd. But yeah, I think one of the problems that you know Johnson has is that you know Bill O'Brien wanted you know he, he Lamar Millerized him going into this offense is this idea by giving him you know twenty five touches a game, which isn't what you want a you know an older running back doing, especially an older running back who hasn't had a great season since you know two thousand sixteen. And he's also not like a really good outside zone runner also. And so I know Houston's running a lot more outside zone. Um, they did it this week. They did it last week in Jacksonville too. That's not really what David Johnson's ever been good at running. He's more of like, a, like an inside zone, like a duo sort of runner where he can use that jump cut and explode off of that and, uh, and bounce things wide from there. But he just doesn't have the vision. I'm seeing him miss a whole lot of runs too. And even like when the blocking is there, he doesn't break tackles whenever he has the chance to. And he gets like the bare minimum whenever the blocking's good on the plays that that happens. And like over the course of six weeks or um, yeah, six weeks now, like there have been enough opportunities where it's it's more than just like well maybe he hasn't got enough shots, but he's got enough shots so far, and he doesn't ha- he hasn't done enough with it. And like we talked about last week, and I'm I'm done with you know David Johnson and any idea of him being good at all. And uh, and, and you know I I don't know. It's just it's weird, and they don't have another option at all really. I think it's it's kind of time to like bring Scotty Phillips up or see if you can if you can you know, pick somebody up off the waiver wire and just try to find that sort of between the tackles back they've been missing um, because it hasn't worked at all with David Johnson and even like a lot of these short yardage runs like on the red zone and in the goal line I mean those are scary runs where like he's barely able to get barely able to convert he almost fumbled on that one third and short run um, and like even these touchdowns that he had like he's barely even getting there and he's not very good in those situations at all either. But it's either him or Duke Johnson. I guess you want the guy who weighs, you know, 20, 20 pounds more or so in there instead. But uh, I really haven't liked it at all um, so far, too. 
I mean, what about you, Carlos? What are your thoughts on David Johnson after this game? I'm over him, honestly. I uh, so many times, I and mean, we just see him. There, there was one play. I can't remember exactly what the situation was, but I believe it may have been a first down. And uh, he tried bouncing out and bumps into his own lineman. It was extreme pressure on Tennessee's front. I'll give him that. But, you know, he just kind of crumpled and took the loss. You know, he didn't fight for any extra yardage. And, I mean, uh, like, like I said, on the third down play, he did almost fumble. I mean, the ball literally came out and it, he got lucky that he had to actually turn the way towards the first down marker to recover and make sure that it didn't pop out. And it kind of gave him that little extra couple inches. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I just see like occasional bang plays, like, like we talked about the outside zone uh, that uh, had some success that, you know, that's kind of leaning into his whatever s- skill set he has left. Um, but for the most part, I just think unless the offense really changes to fit, David Johnson and to utilize that limited skill set, he's just going to keep underperforming. And I don't think David Johnson is the type of player we need to change the offense for. Um, So that's a a great way to put it too. mm -hmm. And I think at this point, you know, Duke Johnson was marginally better. Um, I mean, I think you're right. Maybe trying to see what we have in Scotty Phillips or, you know, I think is CJ Procise still around. I, 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 I think he was out there today. I don't know, but we, you know, what CJ Procise is already. Like, I think he's already had like 200 carries or so in his career. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. And especially too, like this offensive line is going to stay the same next year. David Johnson's not going to be here next year, and so why, why not let this offensive line run the outside zone a lot, get better at running it, and so that way, whenever they have to go back out there again next year, um, they have a better feel and consistency for it because it's probably even the same five offensive linemen unless they decide to cut um, Zach Fulton and maybe plays, you know, Max Sharping there, but who, who knows from there. Uh, but yeah, I've re- I really think that's a great point though, too. Uh, the last thing I have to say about the run game is I really kind of like Farrell, Coop- Farrell Brown a lot. I keep calling him Farrell Cooper because that kick return of the Rams had that dropped those kick returns against Atlanta like three years ago or whatever. Uh, but Farrell Brown's been really good as a, as a lead blocker and like lining up at fullback. And he's the guy who saved uh, David Johnson from fumbling on that short yard run we were talking about too. And so like, I really have enjoyed watching him actually like go out there and reach a defensive end, uh, seal the backside on run play. You know, he's been much better than that than Darren Fells is. And you know, it's taken 10 years, but it seems like Houston finally has a good blocking tight end now too. Uh, so defensively, Derek Henry had more yards per carry at 9.6 yards a carry than Deshaun Watson and Ryan Tannehill had on yards per attempt as a passer, which is absolutely unbelievable. Uh, Henry had 22 carries for 212 yards. He and Jeremy Nichols had five carries for 51 yards, which comes up to 10.2 yards an attempt. As a team, the Titans had 27 carries for 263 yards, which is 9.7 yards an attempt. Um, Joe, why did Houston struggle so much at stopping the run today? It was Derrick Henry just turning it on, having a few of those massive runs that inflated his statistics. And he, they just he just kept pounding the rock into a bad Houston defensive line that has revealed itself as terrible over the past few weeks and has not gotten any better. And even though Derrick Henry has not been nearly the rusher he was last year, he's still pretty darn good. And it only took time before the entire Houston defense had worn out and he was just able to run downhill from there. And then, I mean, their backup, who I think is a rookie, 
he looks pretty great on his own. There was well, a few moments where I he is he a rookie? No, Am I wrong? May Nichols is like he was he's just kinda like the third guy. Uh Darrington Evans oh. got hurt and that's who the rookie is. But yeah, he got hurt oh, and he wasn't yeah, out there. So this hurt. is the bat so McNichols having all these great runs. He's their third string running back, averaging ten yards a carry against Houston today. Yeah, I mean that that's not <laughs> when, that's when the when the with the practice squad third stringer guy is going five an attempt over your starting. Ten, he had attempts. ten an attempt this game. Ten. Oh yeah, ten. An, I'm sorry. Not even five. He had ten. Oh. Their third string running back had oh, ten yards God. of carry today. Yeah, that's not. I I don't think I don't think Arthur Smith is crafting up anything impressive there. I think it's just that Houston defensive line is just that bad which is um we just you know we just paid zach cunningham all this money and he was one of the guys that was supposed to stop that from happening and he's done the opposite of that so it's a big mess it's a really big mess and it's going to take a long time for it to look better and we're going to have to deal with derrick henry for at least another couple years Mm -hmm. yeah i uh well i think henry like he's one of those guys who gets better as the game goes on and he gets better as the year goes on it's like, yeah, like he's yeah. Like averaging 6.7 yards a carry right now, uh, but it's October. And like whenever December rolls around, he'll be at like you know, 7.1 or whatever it is. It really, it really is insane like how um, his game changes throughout the year. One of the, the only, what, a few things I saw, one of it which was they didn't run the ball very well to the right edge. And that's where J.J. Watt was lined up. And they kind of had him playing on the backside of, these, of a lot of these runs where, or they had him playing on the strong side of a lot of these runs out there. And um, was lined up against Dennis Kelly a lot today. In the run game, he had, I think, two tackles for a loss. And I think it was the best game that Watt has had so far this year. And especially in the run game, he's a lot more active. But, I mean, yeah, like you mentioned about Arthur Smith didn't scheme up a whole lot of things crafty. I mean, the run, in the run game, the Titans run outside zone. And they'll run outside zone weak side. They'll run split zone. They'll use motion to help you know move defenders over to open up cutback lanes and things like that. But it really is just that one play over and over again. And some of the things I saw from Houston was that Brent Scarlett was awful in the box. I mean, just absolutely terrible, just getting picked up on the second level time and time again. That 94-yard touchdown run that Henry had, that was Nate Davis you know, destroying Scarlett. That was Eric Murray missing a tackle. That was Zach Cunningham with the, like, one of the worst run fits I've ever seen. It was a Dakota Allen sort of run fit that led to that big touchdown run. Um, and both, both Tyrell Adams and Zach Cunningham were just bad in that regard at their run fits too. And then the secondary had problems tackling uh, throughout this game, you know, from the very beginning. And I don't think, and I don't think like this is something where, uh, yeah, like the 94-yard run inflates the yards per carry, but like consistently throughout this game, Derrick Henry was getting, you know, he was having successful runs like play after play. The yeah, it was one, like a first down a run. Yeah, and like the one-yard stops were were pretty rare. Like he had run for like 18 yards. He had run for 24. He had uh, run for 24 yards and like. The, that big stuff inflates things, but and it does make it make that nine point you know six number uh, a lot bigger than it was. But I do think throughout the entire game, Henry's rushing attack was very successful. Um, Scott, what did you think about the Texans' run defense today? They played run defense. I, I, I guess <laughs> they they were on the field and there when the Titans were running. But yeah, I and granted, tackling Derrick Henry has got to be one of the least fun things for an NFL defender to do, especially when he gets a full head of steam because he'll probably hurt you more than you hurt him. But uh, it just, and I don't know, I, you would think you would try to work at it, sell out to, to stop the run, but, you know, particularly the interior defensive line, I, I don't know what they're doing exactly. I mean, 
okay, you went with Brandon Dunn as a cheaper replacement for DJ Reader, but I'm not – I guess Brandon Dunn dresses and is on the field, but I don't know what he's done exactly to help. Um, you know, and you can't – you know, you can't clone Watt and put him at all three defensive positions at once. Uh, they, they're just not getting any sort of interior stop. And then, you know, the missed tackling too. I mean, it, it, you're now – six games into the season, so you can't claim a lack of preseason. Mm-hmm. You, you've had several games to get the te- you know get used to tackling live personnel. And I know Henry is a nightmare to tackle, and you know he, he will make you look bad quick if you don't have perfect form. But it, it, it was just, yeah, I kind of fear coming into this game it was going to be Derrick Henry to the left, Derrick Henry to the right, and Derrick Henry to the middle, mixing with a few play actions. I was a little surprised Tennessee kind of went away from that in the third quarter. They tried to pass a little bit more. And, you know, not that Tannehill had a bad game against us, obviously, but you just run Derrick Henry until he either is done or, you know, you've set, like, rushing records. It's just – and I don't know – you know, I'd have to do some digging on, like, statistics for rushing yards giving up a game, but at this rate, we're going to be up there on those lists you don't want to be there for – rushing yards given, especially with the league being a passing league, just that if you're giving up 180, 190 yards a game, ugh, that, that just, <laughs> that, that does not bode well, especially as you get later in the year and colder weather and more inclement situations and to run the ball more. Now, I don't know how long Derek Henry can keep that going. Running backs like him don't always have a long shelf life, but uh, today it was, it was probably worse than we feared, especially him as a receiver too. Was just even more devastating. That's like yuck. Yeah. So that uh, that catch he had in in their game, or I guess in overtime, that he took off for like forty plus yards or whatever. Um, they Anthony Weaver has Brand Dunn pop the guard, then drop drop back into coverage, and there's nobody on the flat. And like I don't know if Dunn's supposed to be the flat defender, or what they were thinking there, but it just created that open run, and you know, Lonnie Johnson Jr. died to to make that tackle there. <laughs> But uh, Houston's run defense, I'm not a big yards guy at all, just because just because you it's an accumulation stat, and just because you do something a lot doesn't mean you're good at it. Um, so for Houston's, per, or every game this year, they allow 166 to Kansas City, 230 to Baltimore, 169 to Pittsburgh, 162 to Minnesota, 75 to Jacksonville in a game where you know, the Jacks fell behind and weren't able to run the ball, and they gave up 200-plus you know, yards. Um, they gave up 263 yards today. And yeah, it's been it's been bad in every kind of sense of it. And one of the other problems I see too is like they just don't kick enough ass, or they're not winning their blocks at all. They're not they're getting driven back on double teams too often. And like it's PJ Hall, it's Carlos Watkins, it's Brandon Dunn. Um, like Watt hasn't played the run that hard this year until this game, and like he was actually like a plus run defender finally. But just all across the board, like it's just a it's just a mess. And like we're two years removed from this being an all time great pass defense. And now it's by far the worst one in the league right now. Um, so, Carlos, we had a question from at Dan uh, Benavides, and he asked, is there anything more Houston than seeing defenders run away from Derek, than run away from Derek Henry? I rewatched that play a few times. Just absolutely in awe of, like, you could see physically see the moment where Henry shifts into a whole different gear. Like, it's... It was amazing. It's shocking to just see that once he gets out into the open field, Reed is accelerating. I mean, he is getting to him. And then all of a sudden, 
it's like as if something like he just shifted into overdrive and just starts pulling away from everybody, like watching a train go by. It was ridiculous. It was it was hilarious, and I can't even be mad at it. And uh, one of my favorite things about this game, really quickly, is I think it was maybe the third quarter, um, towards the end of the third, where they put up a graphic of Derrick Henry. 85 yards in the first half and they're like oh well he's only got 25 yards in the second half and you know he's usually a second half kind of back it's like he's still over 100 yards rushing on the day like let's not skew this he's having a good day and he just he just ripped it open so (laughs) i mean just seeing henry do that it was it was expected i i figured he would have a big play like that at some point in the game just i didn't see it coming that late that's for sure yeah and he did it twice too and it really is insane that he's able to run that fast like Whenever he pulled away from Justin Reed, I, 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 I've watched Derek Henry run the ball, you know, maybe like 600 times in my life or so, and mm-hmm. I've never seen him pull away from Justin Reed, like pull away like that. And I think he has before, but I just, I don't know, maybe I blocked it out, but uh, that, was, that was insane. Um, the next question we had was from Ad Smooth Grandma, and he asked, can you teach me how to stop a direct running back snap? It looks really complicated. So Tennessee faced, I guess, third and six in, the, in overtime. And they put Ryan Tannehill at wide receiver. They put Derrick Henry as the running back out there, or at the quarterback position. And Tennessee ran duo, which is just inside zone, but you run it away from your tight end. And the whole idea is to be able to create as many strong double teams as possible. So Tennessee ran that. Derrick Henry faked that run. And nobody in Houston beat their double team at all. They all got driven you know, back a yard or two. And then Anthony Ferkser pull around that play. And because the, the double team blocks are good enough, and there's no penetration at all. Derek Henry was able to really sell that run without any fear. And then Ferguson pulls around, is one versus one against Brent Scarlett. You know, drives him back two or three yards. And again, this is like going back to the McNichols thing. Like this isn't Johnu Smith, you know. This isn't Michael Pruitt. These aren't the typical you know blocking tight ends the tight ends use because both are hurt this game. This is Anthony Ferguson is their your third string tight end who's just yeah, who is as a this pass guy? catcher. Yeah, I mean like he's made like. It's been kind of fun listening to Texans fans today because I've watched like every Titans game. I'm like, who's that? Like, who's Khalif Raymond? Who's uh, uh, you know, who's McNichols? Who's you know, Anthony First? Like, these guys just all kind of make plays for him. But he, you know, not he gets on, he latches on Brendan Scarlett, drives him back to the goal line. Uh, Derek Henry follows that run, scores easily, and that's the game there. And it was just a a great play call and uh, great design from Arthur Smith, who's just a red zone god. And I don't know how he gets away with it so much, but he has so far. It's just it's just ugly when you're seeing your entire defense just get like just get pushed back like that like they're nothing like they're cardboard and like it it really hurt to see Derrick Henry even outrun Justin Reed but seeing how easy it was for him just to take the snap and like walk into the end zone like the entire defense wasn't even there like it's just like we got some big problems on defense and it's it's going to take a master plan by the next GM to make it even mediocre in the next year or two. Yeah. And like, I thought the defense was going to, I thought the run defense was going to be worse this year, of course, without DJ reader. I thought it could be like, you know, 20th or so uh, by DVOA. I didn't think it'd be the league's worst defense. Even my black and charred and, you know, ruinous heart. I uh, wasn't pessimistic enough for this defense, which is you know, very no. surprising to me that I didn't seek down to the, the depths that I'm usually living at anyways. Uh, so Joe, I want to talk about Zach Cunningham. I know you mentioned him earlier. Since he signed his big extension, he's had trouble in coverage. He's had trouble tackling high. And now he's the team's primary middle linebacker now that Bernardo McKinney's out for the year with a shoulder injury. 
His run fits have been terrible these past two weeks. Um, in the past, he's mainly made like he's made an entire living as being like a weak side linebacker who chases from the backside, outruns offensive linemen, and delivers kill shots on the running back. Now, as the strong side linebacker and playing, you know, both strong and weak, depending on the formation where they're having him line up. But he's no longer just seeing weak side anymore. Um, now, in this role and being like the number one linebacker on the interior and having to control the entire run game on his own, it doesn't seem like he's up for it right now. Um, so, Joe, do you think he's the type of linebacker who can anchor a front seven? And do you see inside linebackers in need for this defense now? I think I think we need some. I I don't think Cunningham can be the Mike linebacker of this team. I th- I think he was doing his job uh, at his previous position, and I don't think he's ready for this middle linebacker spot. So, if we get like a top ten pick or whatever because of this. Uh, season i'd say we might need to invest in the middle linebacker spot because i didn't realize how important mckinney was to stopping the run to pretty much everything this defense relied on so i don't know i mean it's it's cunningham's what this is either his first or second game at the middle linebacker spot so we'll see how he goes but he was already having a suspect season to start with in his traditional spot Mm -hmm. so i can't expect him to do much better when the entire defense is relying on him so Unless he has an amazing turnaround in the next few games, I'd say we might need to start looking at whoever's going to be the best line breaker. Maybe that uh, Michael Parsons from Penn State. Maybe we'll have to get him. I imagine he'll be a top five pick, so maybe we have to get him, and he can be our next Mike. Yeah, well, it's hard, you know, a first-round pick to trade up and take a inside linebacker. Um, oh, yeah, we don't have a first-round yeah. pick. Yeah, I'm an that, idiot. Never you, mind. You have, to have, you have to have Larry Tensel <laughs> so he can lock down Clavon Chase on for <laughs> Entire game because oh. that's worth you know, two first round picks and a second round pick. I forgot. Yeah, oh no. Uh, the thing oh, about no. well, the thing about Cunningham, like going back to last year, even like whenever I went back and watched every defensive snap, you know, last spring uh, on the All Twenty Two because I wrote about Justin Reed and I was really kind of seeing like because during that time there was those talks about uh, McKinney being traded possibly that you know rumor that came up that didn't happen and ever since that rumor it's like the entire fan base has turned upon. McKinney being a good player, which he is a very good player at that one thing at stopping the run. And so I was watching all these like Cunningham snaps and seeing these spots where he was playing middle or strong side linebacker and looking for those reps. And, you know, there was, there was a few of them, but not enough to like have really any sort of solid understanding of it. But there was, I saw some, I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't see, I don't see him being able to play in this way. And, uh, and we're kind of seeing it again this year as well, too. So I don't know, maybe it's something that he just needs to play a few more games at it. Uh, but but so far these last two weeks it's been pretty rough, and also just for the entirety of this year, like his play's been rough, especially from a tackling perspective. And this question goes back to what at Phil Johnson and why asked earlier uh, about David Johnson, the defense bumming him out, and then he also wants to say shouts out to Romeo Cornell for being hip, which I guess means you know not being a coward and going for it as often as possible. Now the other thing about this game too is like as great as Henry was, um, Ryan Tannehill wasn't a slouch all either. He averaged 8.9 yards in attempt. He threw four touchdowns to one interception. He was sacked once today. The the Titans, this is probably the, the most insane stat, though, from this game. They ran 70 plays today, and they averaged... They, they ran 70 plays. They picked up 601 yards on these 70 plays, but they only had... And they had 29 first downs today. Uh, or they had 31 first downs, even. But they averaged 8.6 yards of play. Uh, again, like, it was just... Every facet of this game, they're able to attack Houston. Um, so, Scott, what did you see from Houston's pass defense? Do you think there was anything like good about what they were able to do against Tennessee today? 
Uh, do you think they played fine? Do you think they played good enough at all? Well, I, th- I think the score kind of <laughs> and the yardage given up kind of tips that uh, no one on the defense should really feel good about this one. Um, I think with Tannehill, though, he's now found himself in a situation that works great because, I mean, they've got a monster back in Derrick Henry. So a guy like him sets up a lot of great play action. And I think Tannehill, ever since he came over to the Titans and then took over for Mariota last season, it, it just was a good match. Now, was Tannehill worth the high draft pick Miami put for him? Maybe not. But Miami, he was supposed to be the next savior, the guy that'll get the franchise back off its feet and make people think of Marino. Well, no, that didn't happen. Come to Tennessee, and I think you see that with a number of different quarterbacks. The first place they at, the high hype, the all the pressure doesn't work. They go to a different location, maybe as a backup or something, and then circumstances dictate they get a second chance. So I think Tannehill's in a good position right now, um, and definitely the offense is the strength of the Titans. As for the pass defense, I think, you know, the fact that we had to question Cornell going for two when up seven and about two minutes left, well, worst case scenario on that, it's still you need a touchdown an extra point. It, it was more of a high ri- you know, high reward, lower risk. But you would think even with our pass defense, like, okay, they maybe they should be able to hold, but even then it wasn't so much the deep plays, but they couldn't they just couldn't stop the short intermediate stuff. And you know, I, I think it was just terrible defense across the board. Um, you know, they got to Roby a few times today, which I think he'd been playing okay this season, but not a game he's going to want to look back upon fondly, even with getting the first interception mm-hmm. for the Texans this year. Uh, so it's, I think, yeah, defensively, yeah, I, okay, you had two two people had two sacks. Watt had a forced fumble, but outside of that, I mean, and Adams in spots looked okay, but yeah, this is a game that the, no one on the defense should take any pride in whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, you mentioned Roby just now, like Roby's a, a good cornerback, but he's not like a lockdown guy. He can, he can just like lock down a team's number one wide receiver. And we saw that today, like AJ Brown beat him on a double move where he had to grab him and hold him. Uh, Brown was able to get open pretty consistently off play action, running you know, intermediate middle routes, to the center of the field. And he beat Roby on that quick fade route where they quick snapped him on that one too. Um, yeah, like, and they just attacked Houston every way imaginable from AJ Brown being Roby to Anthony Ferkser short middle to Adam Humphrey short middle to dump offs in the flat, um, quick slants against their slot corners. They did a good job picking on Lonnie Johnson Jr. And they just shoved him at like free safety because they don't know what to do with him. So yeah, just stand back there. They probably won't throw it. Uh, we got to get you on the field somehow. And the Titans actually did a good job on running that route combination to get Humphreys open on that touchdown pass that Tannehill threw. And the other thing, too, is like Eric Murray's their slot cornerback now, and he's not very good at that. And that was one of the problems that they had on those quick slants they gave up this game, too. And so, like, from that perspective, you know, Tennessee did a great job attacking Houston every way. And, like, the pass rush is bad today. Like, Watt had he had trouble against Dennis Kelly. Ty Sambrello came in. He did that chop-rip move, forced a fumble. But that was it, like, pretty much for the pass rush. And then Tyrell Adams beat uh, Roger Saffel in that blitz. And I guess Tyrell Adams is the best interior pass rusher. Houston has now, but they didn't have much of a pass rush at all again. Um, you know, I know a lot of people were excited for Charles Omenyehu and Jacob Martin, but Omenyehu's been bad this year. Jacob Martin plays really hard and can play himself into some stuff, but he doesn't have an, uh, an out once offensive linemen get their hands on him. And so they just kick slides quick as possible out wide 
and uh, he gets swallowed up, you know, too easily. And I think Weaver's done a really bad job, like using him on the interior just so they can fake if like he's dropping back in coverage or not, which doesn't matter very much to begin with at all either. Um, Carlos, what did you think about the pass defense today? So I think the pass defense today, at least a lot of people going into this game knew how bad the run defense was, but our pass defense wasn't considered the worst in the league, mainly because teams were too busy running the ball over us to really expose them. And today the Titans beat us on almost every single level in the passing game. I mean, just people got manhandled. The secondary wanted no part in any tackling, uh, Tight ends had another big day today. I mean, we had literal nobodies out there, you know, looking like Travis Kelsey. And I just think this pass defense, there, like, there's only so much Justin Reed can do on his own. Uh, Bradley Roby, he had a nice pick and everything, but that was, I think that's more on Tannehill putting the ball mm-hmm. in a in a bad spot. Um, I just think, my gosh, they're just so incapable on so many different levels. And the linebackers especially are so bad in pass coverage mm-hmm. uh, that it's laughable to even try and leave. Like, might as well just send them every play because if, if you drop them back, they get no respect. They, they literally have no coverage skills. So what's the point? Uh, so this pass defense is just it's it's just as bad as the run defense, I think. Like if we somehow magically managed to force a competent team because I'm not going to look at the Jaguars and say that their passing game is, you know, the most competent in the world. If we like, let's say against Aaron Rodgers, we have, if we somehow force Aaron Rodgers to go to the air and Aaron Jones is having a bad day or something, my gosh, I I could be like 500, 500 yard game. It's going to be bad. So, yeah. Yeah. I switch me. Yeah. And that Tyrell Adams, um, that touchdown he gave up today was like, I mean, he just got lost completely, you know, Mm-hmm. Where he like he's a hook he's a hook defender and like great great like linebackers in coverage they understand like what the outside receiver is doing what the slot receiver is doing and so they don't have to worry about like well if I vacate space somebody's gonna be here to replace it or what this back is gonna do if he's gonna run an angle route or not and uh, they understand route combinations like that and Adams completely like just sits there even as the guy runs across his face because he's worried of you know I guess somebody else showing up there but that was pretty bad too. Um, the last thing I'm going to say about this game, we'll try to get to some of these listener questions. And I hate how good the listener questions were tonight because we have too many and there's only so many minutes. Is that um, Tennessee went five for six in the red zone scoring touchdowns today, which was insane. And especially insane considering last year they had like a 93% red zone touchdown rate. And like everybody was sitting here, well, I guess just mainly me. I was sitting here waiting for regression to the mean. And it happened that Denver game. And then since then, they're just like, yeah, we're just going to score touchdowns every time, every time now, again, and not have to allow Gostowski to make any kicks, but kicks at all. But yeah, they were, they scored 10 straight red zone touchdowns at one point in this game, going back to last week against um, Buffalo too. Uh, the Bills offense played fine against Tennessee, but the turnovers kind of hurt them and all the times Davis scored red zone touchdowns. So I have no idea how Arthur Smith is keeping this madness going. And this question is from at Matt's in the cradle. He asked, which is better, the red zone efficiency or the interview efficiency of Arthur Smith? Uh, he's been here since Munchak for almost 10 years. And I do think this one of the things I like about Smith, if you would think about him as a possible Texans head coach, is he's played under you know, Malarkey, Bradley, I mean, not Bradley, um, the offensive coordinator in Los Angeles. Um, I'm so stupid. He used to be the head coach in Tennessee. I used to know this stuff, but now I don't know. Uh, 
And then they, he also he also coached for Lafleur as well too. And so he's seen a bunch of different offenses come and go, what works and what doesn't work. And I didn't know about his interview efficiency, so I'll have to go on Rivers' Twitter page tonight and check out some Arthur Smith interviews. Uh, so my question for you, Joe, is which is worse, the defensive line, the linebackers, or the defensive backs? And also, why isn't John Reed playing or Jonathan Grenard um, right now? And this question is from at, and Eddie underscore Hassan. I would say overall, like, it would have to be the linebackers because at least, like, at least the defensive line makes some pressure. At least they get a couple sacks. I mean, what I think we got a sack um, last week, and I think we got a sack or two the week before. So we've gone a few weeks in a, uh, in a row now that we've gotten some pressure. So the defensive line is doing something. Well, in the defensive backfield, Roby had an interception, even though it wasn't really special. Justin Reed exists. Um, so those are two capable players. But the linebacking, I don't think there's anything to save them. So they are by far the worst part of the defense. But I don't know why we we haven't seen Grenard or Blacklock, especially like since uh, things have been so bad. I would think that we would just be throwing defensive players out there all over the place and just seeing what we can get. I don't know. They must look really, really bad in practice to not get any starting time. But I just throw them in. Just throw them in and see what you have. I know Blacklock was in for like I don't know a snap or two this game. I don't know if I ever saw Grenard, but. It's worth just putting them in, if not at least for the next head coach to see some like meaningful film on mm-hmm. how they play in real time situations. It's worth putting them in, regardless of how bad they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I saw Grenard make like block go up against a fullback on split zone. I was like, hey, that was something. And Blacklock like, accidentally <laughs> tripped uh, Derek Henry today. But yeah, I don't Woo! know. And I, I like Grenard can't be worse than Brent Scarlett. Like it's impossible. He can't be. Yeah, he um, can't like. Like he can't be zero. He can't be level zero. Yeah, like this Scar- I can't. Some I'll have to tell BFD to or Mike. You know, tell him to look up Brent Scarlett's PFF grade, his Pro Football Focus grade for today's game because it was it was absolutely um, insane. So our next question here, Scott, is from at James K Mills the third, and he asked, "Is it possible to fix this defense in the middle of the season?" <laughs> well, I, I guess in theory, anything is possible to include like teleportation on a Star Trek or hit, achieving light speed. But <laughs> I, to be honest, I, I don't see, you know, as far as the fixing, it's like, what are you going to get on the waiver wire for this? I mean, okay, granted, if someone like Baltimore has a huge game running fine, that's not unexpected. Um, you know, and Derek Henry having a good game against us, yeah, but it's just, in general, there, there's way too many issues, I think, for any in-season fix. And maybe Anthony Weaver channels like Buddy Ryan circa ni- 1985 or something. But I, I, I don't see any quick fix this season. If they're going to have continued success, it's going to basically be that the offense puts up points at a good clip. That, you know, they're putting up mm-hmm. 35 to 40 a game and then relying on J.J. Watt or somebody to make one or just enough plays to kind of keep the score contained till the offense just outruns them. That and hope that, you know, we continue our trend on special teams, that teams miss at least two field goals against us. I think <laughs> we've had that for back-to-back weeks. I can't think the last time that's happened to any team. So I, I don't think we're looking at any good fixes this year for the defense. It's um, If we win, it's going to be in spite of the defense, not because. Yeah. I think I think it's kind of it's like it's up to the offense to score thirty points, thirty four points, thirty seven points, and 
you know, thinking about Bill O'Brien is that he put all the investment into this offense. And like last year, he looked at this roster and thought, yeah, Eric Murray is what this defense is missing. He thought <laughs> J.J. Watt being J.J. Watt is good enough to be an average defense. And Watt hasn't been Watt. Watt's been, Watt was really good this game. He's been good throughout the season, but he's not an all-pro defensive end at all anymore. And he hasn't been this year. Uh, and like they haven't had that boost from him to at least like carry that averageness. And so like because of that, like this, and then this talent on the front seven, this defense in general has just been seeping out. You know, they haven't had any players develop. The player, the good players that they have here are older now. They've lost, you know, Jackson. They lost Boye. They lost Jadavion Clowney. Um, they lost DJ Reader. And like these are really good players that they've lost. They didn't get enough back at all for them or nothing at all. And so it's just a talent issue. And it kind of goes back to what we talked about with Romero Cornell last year, where a lot of people thought Cornell was doing a bad job as defensive coordinator. So they don't have any good players at all here. They don't have the players to have a uh, a good defense based off this. There's not. There's only so much coaching you can do. I think Weaver's done a good job this year. He does a little. He does things that are kind of stupid sometimes, like Brandon Dunn dropping back into coverage and you know rushing Jacob Martin over the interior. And he's disguised things really well too. But uh, like in general, you know, there's only so much you can do with the talent that you have. And I don't know how you can make this defense much better this year, um, too. So. Carlos, we had a question from at Confused Lefty, and he asked, we have three big needs on this team for any head coach coming in. Offensive line, pass rush, and secondary. What is the priority order and why? Okay. I would have to go with O-line last, and then working up from there, I'll go secondary, and then priority is going to be pass rush. So... The offensive line, mainly being that we've already got so much invested into it. We've got our cornerstones at, in Titus How and uh, Titus Howard and uh, Laramie Tunsil. Uh, hopefully, we axe Devlin and we get a new uh, O-line coach in that can maybe mold Sharping into somebody decent. But for the most part, I think what you mentioned earlier is that we are going to be sticking with the same group of guys. So, in terms of the makeup of this O-line, I think it's pretty set in stone and. Uh, I'm not too against it either, especially if we stick to spreading out the offense like we have been. Um, it's not going to be the biggest thing in the world for me. The secondary is uh, probably in the middle, simply because we do have a really nice cornerstone and Justin Reed back there. Um, Roby, for as often as he gets beaten, he would be an average cornerback on most other NFL rosters. You know, he's he's decent enough to keep around, I think, or, you know, hopefully we don't fire sale at the deadline like people are thinking uh but i think roby's a piece that could potentially stick around longer there um beyond that you know i hope john reed gets some uh more playing time because i liked what i saw out of him early on um but i think first and foremost the pass rush has to be addressed because right now we're not getting jack done Mm -hmm. um outside of a few boom plays like the jj play uh the jj strip fumble uh, that that's an outlier. That's not a regular occurrence. Um, I don't foresee Tyrell Adams being, you know, this insane pressure creator uh, from the interior. Uh, I just think there's so many, so many things that need to be addressed in terms of the pass rush that teams aren't afraid to throw the ball and not just that, but they get little penetration on run plays towards like they can do anything they want. So my number one priority going into the draft and free agency is fix the dang D line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can I I can see that. Like interior pass rushing has been an issue for this team, like for 
I don't know, since Antonio Smith was here, since J.J. Watt stopped rushing on the interior. And that's why they dropped to Blacklock. And, like, Blacklock wasn't, like, a very good one-versus-one pass rusher. He was good at running stunts and, and using really good leverage to beat double teams and split them and make plays in the, in the backfield. But, yeah, like, he's going to need probably a little bit more time to learn how to do that to just be, like, a three-tech and win a one-versus-one rush. Um, and this is even going back to his time at TCU as well. But, like, yeah, again, like, Woody Merciless needs interior pressure to have any impact. He had that one spin move today, and Tannehill was still able to hit that completion, but hasn't done very much of anything at all this year. He had that one sack against Jackson last week, too. But, like, again, these aren't, there's not a source of consistent production aside from, like, Watt, you know, three or four times a game. Um, you know, Omanier, who has been very good on the interior, like, playing every down after he was just used as a bullpen pass rusher last year. You know, Dunn can't rush the passer at all. Uh, PJ Hall gets close sometimes. You know, he's almost big play, PJ Hall, uh, on this podcast. And then, you know, Martin plays really hard. And he has, like, he has these really great flashes where all of his moves come together. But too often, like, his rush is just running into the offensive tackles outside shoulder and getting extended. That's it. You know, he's not big enough and doesn't have any sort of uh, interior counter move yet at all either. So I, I can see that. And, like, I, it's, it's either one. You know, like, they need, a, they need both cornerback play and they need better, um, better pass rush. And, like, they bench Vernon Hargreaves for Phillip Gaines, you know. But that's how bad the cornerback number two spot and I don't particularly love Gary and Conley. I think he's a. I think he's okay. I think he's overrated by this fan base. But uh, the difference between him and Vern Hargreaves is enormous, though. So the last question for tonight is from at T Schmidt seven two seven two three at T Schmidt seven two three. I got ahead of myself. I'm gonna say, you know, Schmidt. I hope you're doing very well. Hope your family's lovely and happy still, and everything's going well. And he asked, I saw something about the Texans being sellers to the deadline. Do you think we make any moves at all? And we kind of talked about this today in the chat. And the big problem was that there's so much dead cap associated with this. So you can't get anything for David Johnson. I think you could trade Will Fuller because you know there's nothing, there's no dead money after this year. So you just eat that $10 million contract for the rest of the season. Um, and I think a team may be interested in him. You can trade Kenny Stills. You can trade, but you can't trade Zach Cunningham with his contract. You can't really trade McKinney with his contract all this year. And plus he's injured. Um, I guess you could trade Bradley Roby hypothetically, but like a lot of the stuff here for the Texans at such a hard spot is because of the way these contracts are set up where they're still paying bonus money. If you make a trade, you're having to eat, you know, $7 million next year or this year, $4 million next year. And Winnie Mer- Merciless is a really great example of that too. And so Joe, do you see Houston making any trades at all at this deadline? And you think they even have the opportunity to do so based off the players, the talent, the players they have, the performance they've had, and the contracts they have. Man, I think, I think I think you have a point with Will Fuller and Kenny Stills. You might be able to get something from them. You'd have to look at least with Will Fuller. You'd have to look for a team that is just one player away from making it happen because Will Fuller would become a free agent at the end of this year. Mm-hmm. So it would have to be a team like Seattle or something that just needs one more guy to like become a dominant force, uh, or like the 49ers last year when they picked up uh, Emmanuel Sanders. Um, JJ Watt is definitely one, not because of how he's playing this year, but because of history, his history of playing. And he might be entering his like regressions, regression stages now. So he might be one where if we're going to trade him, if trading him is on the table, it has to happen this season. If it doesn't happen this season, then we're not going to get anything good out of him. Um, and that might be it. That, that really might be it because you're right. We're not going to get much out of Zach Cunningham. We probably wouldn't get much out of Kenny Stills. I don't know. It it doesn't look good. We we have to we have to take some notes 
from how Tampa Bay rebuilt their defense from 2018 to now because they went from worst to first in the past couple of years. So we're going to have to figure out what they did. Yeah, I mean, they just used high draft picks on their defense. Yeah, they and, just, they found, yeah. and they found Shaq yeah. Bear on a $4.5 million contract. And uh, and Levante David's been there forever. And they used like, a lot of like mid-round draft picks on uh, defensive backs that have kind of worked out, like Carlton Davis and Sean Murphy Bunning and Jamal Dean and Antoine Winfield. And uh, and so, yeah, like, there's no, the good thing about defense is if you invest in it, you can make a pretty quick improvement because that spot's like, not as you know, like, intellect-based or teaching-based. You just have guys like, being you know badasses and making plays, um, that's the only good news about. It, but the problem is that the Texans with their salary cap situation and lack of draft picks they have, it's going to be extremely difficult to you know, make a quick jump and improvement. And the Watt thing's interesting. You know, he's thirty-one. Uh, there, he's under contract for one more year. And like, I think he'd be better suited just playing only you know twenty-five snaps a game in a more of a pure pass rush role. But it's like, what mm-hmm. would you get for him? Like, could you get a third-round pick? Is that enough to trade? You know, the franchise's best player. Would Watt want to trade? Want to be traded? All does he want to stay in Houston? Like if he asked for, it, I think it's something that you know, I guess you would kind of like look into doing if he asked for it. And I think Brandon Cooks could be traded also, but like you, what would you get for Cooks? Like, could you get a fourth round pick out of him? And I think if you get a fourth round pick from Cooks, you would have to do it. But yeah, like personally, I would like to see Houston make some trades at the deadline if you can get anything for you know, Stills or or Cooks or Merciless or. Um, or like those three guys specifically, I don't think you can get anything from Merciless at all, though, just because of his contract. But if you can get yeah. anything for those guys, I think you have to. I I like the idea of keeping Fuller around after this year, but just the injury history is so hard to deal with that you, know, you have to have production in that position. They don't have any other options. Um, but you don't really, like, I don't know. It's just like, can you, you with the salary cap issues they have, like, do you really want to pay a receiver $11 million who can't stand the field? And he's more of a luxury. Like, you know, he's a, he's a Lamborghini an apartment complex for this team in a sense next year. Uh, and then like David Johnson, like, you get a seventh round pick for David Johnson, trade him. Like anything you can get, you got, you got to get out of there, you know? Um, so I don't know. It's a hard spot. It seemed a lot easier on paper. And, like it makes a lot more sense whenever the idea comes up and then you start looking at the contracts like, yeah, it's all kind of screwed up. You know, I don't even know how they make any of this happen because of the, the dead money associated with it. Are there any trades that you like to see at all, Carlos? Really, I would be okay with seeing any of these guys move. The only thing that really concerns me is the fact that, you know, Easterby is still around and how much value are we really going to get out of making these deals? Is there anybody else out there who could maximize the potential of these deals a little bit better? I mean, that's nobody's really on the table that I would be, you know, abhorrently uh, against moving except for a few key players. Um, I mean, Merck. I feel has to go, has to. Um, I would love to get something decent in return for him, but I mean, it's just asking a lot, especially considering his his dead cap. I know we're going over in the chat and it got kind of funny looking over just some of the numbers that these guys are going to be responsible for. And, um, you know, I just think looking at it, uh, Cooks is fine, Fuller, he had a nice game, but... It's just, it's too inconsistent. We don't have a guy that consistently produces. And if this offense continues as it's going, you know, maybe we see this uh, production spread out a little more evenly, but I don't trust it. So I'd be okay with anybody going at this point. Mm-hmm. It's just what kind of return can we get? Yeah. I know Bill Marwell mentioned like the idea of training, training stills over to the Packers for like a fifth round pick or something like, yeah, that's fine. Get Kiki Cutie out there and give him some snaps, you know, 
get anything mm-hmm. to some younger guys. And like they just don't have the picks. They need volume uh, right. for this upcoming draft. And I think that's another great point, too, about the Jack Easterby's thing. It's like, so you're, you're going to have Jack Easterby trying to pick a... I mean, I guess the good thing about picks is like he doesn't have to make any, any decisions with those picks or whatever. But like, understanding any sort of value, understanding how the contract works, understanding like, you know, what player is worth X amount. And so because of that, I can't see Watt being traded this year. Like, could you imagine Jack Easterby trade J.J. Watt? It would be like the <laughs> most absurd. Yeah, it'd be the most absurd thing ever. Uh, so I can't see that. I can't see Cal like that mess. happen either. Yeah. Uh, Scott, what about it you? Couldn't there? be any worse. All right, Scott. Are, do you have any any trades at all up your sleeves that you see sitting there that seem very easy and makes sense for you? Well, I think it's going to depend on what other teams are looking for. Um, you know, maybe they feel they can steal steal something from the Texans and you know trade for the. You know, bag of magic beans that happened a lot when uh, Bob was running things for the last couple of years as GM. Uh, but, uh, you know, like said, you know, I think like Carlos and others said, uh, most everyone's on the table, I think. And particularly if you're looking at this becoming a lost season, which by all accounts it's going to be, um, you know, you got to start restocking as far as what you can get for draft picks and what you can do for maneuvering cap stuff. Um, so, yeah, I mean, pick a player. I think guys like Stills or Merciless might be worth it. We particularly for Merciless, we might have to eat a bit of that money, unfortunately. But if you can finagle a few picks out of that, then go for it. I mean, at this point, you kind of have to see get what you can. So uh, I would I'd be very, very shocked if we didn't see a few moves before November third. Mm-hmm. Um is Watt might be the most attractive option. Of course, the PR hit's going to be a nightmare. But you know, and I think you were saying it earlier. If you're going to do it, not only this year, but you got to do it quickly. Yeah, because yeah. you drag it out and then you send the face of the franchise. It'd be, and probably for a worse return than the old Oilers got when they sent Warren Moon away. So, <laughs> I, yeah, it's. I think everything's on the table, and they'd probably be smart to listen to a lot of phone calls, a lot of offers, and I think they probably need to pull the trigger on a couple of things. Yeah, I mean, I know the trade deadline is usually pretty quiet. It's gotten a little bit noisier in the NFL the past few years. Um, it'd be interesting to see if they actually make one of these moves or do anything with it. And like, again, just getting draft picks is what they need. They need cost-effective, uh, cost-effective talent. Because again, one of the problems with the Tensile trade, it's not that Tensile's not worth $20 million or he's not good, is that you lose cost-effective talent to build around a quarterback who's getting paid you know, $31 million a year instead of $4 million a year. And that was a real big, you know, hole in Bill O'Brien's thinking process. Uh, whenever he made those decisions and they were all really brash and reactionary and lacked any sort of, you know, long-term planning at all. Uh, my big thing is like, I would love to see the next general manager trade, Larry Tunsil for a first round pick and a third round pick. And then Luke brought up the dead money thing. I'm like, yeah, I guess you really can't do that at all. And whenever I mention that, nobody wants to say anything at all. Cause it really sounded like the elephant in the room that like, Tensil's great, and like it's you know it's impossible not to love him as a player. But offensive tackles aren't worth twenty-two million dollars, two first-round picks, and a second-round pick. They just aren't. Like it's important to have that. Like it's good to make sure that Yannick Ngakwe doesn't have three sacks on you in a game. But it's not worth that that investment, especially whenever you have a mobile quarterback like Deshaun Watson too at the same time. Um, and I guess the last thing I want to say before we end tonight's show is that you know as a, a Jadavian Clowney lover and friend, friend of his, and, uh, and somebody who really enjoys watching him play football. It's been really kind of frustrating to see him be so out of shape and gasping as he is, and he really hasn't done a whole lot yet this year. And so like, I do think like Clowney's just out of shape right now, 
Like, I don't really see this as him being bad or anything at all like that. Like, he hasn't been bad. He hasn't been, like, great at all either. He's been fine. Um, completely worth, like, a one-year flyer on the Titan Asylum too. But he just looks tired out there. And, like, in the third quarter of this game, there was a play where Tyus Howard, you know, like, went to reach him in the outside zone. And they both just, like, stood still and stopped playing as the play was going on. And Clowney has never done that all before. So I don't know what he was doing all summer or maybe he he still has the coronavirus. I have no clue at all. But Clowney has been Clowney. Yeah, I think he's out of shape and hopefully he gets better because football's better whenever Clowney's actually um, playing well and doing things. So anyways, next week, the Houston Texans play the Green Bay Packers, I guess. The Texans are 1-5. The Packers are 4-1 and one after losing to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers today. Um, I'm excited to watch that game tonight or tomorrow morning or whatever. Uh, but until next time, I'm Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to Red Radio. Thank you for being on tonight, Joe, Carlos, and Scott. Hope you all have a great night, and I'll talk to you all soon. Yep. Yep. Thanks.